Hello, this is Steve Bailey. Happy to have you aboard for episode two of Laughing Gas, a Charlie Chaplin podcast. Now, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this episode because in my introductory episode, I told you that I wanted to go through Charlie Chaplin's movies in chronological order because that seems to be, to me, to be the best way to watch them. I mean, any Chaplin you can see is fine, but if you have the opportunity, it's really interesting to watch him grow as a comedian and an artist and do it from the very beginning to the very end. But I hope you will indulge me for the next couple of episodes as I take a sharp detour that I will get back to in uh, get back on the road in episode four. But for now, for this episode, I wanted to go ahead and uh, get the best stuff out of the way. And by best, I mean my two favorite movies of his, and I w- would consider uh, the short subject area and the feature length area. So, for the short subject, my favorite of his is 1917's The Immigrant. Now, one of the main things that bothered me about James Cameron's overblown 1997 movie Titanic was the way that it patted itself on the back for its blatant commentary on America's class system. Cameron seemed to have forgotten that there was a two-reeler comedy that did the same thing eight decades previous, Chaplin's The Immigrant, and did it probably for what it cost to light one of Titanic's chandeliers. Indeed, it is kind of surprising that Chaplin stirred criticism when he thought to mix comedy and drama in The Kid four years later, seeing as he had already done it so skillfully in The Immigrant. This is the perfect Chaplin combination platter. Comedy, drama, pathos, symbolism, and yes, a smidgen of social commentary, all delivered as smoothly and charmingly as you could ask for. Chaplin plays the title role of foreigner sailing for America on a rickety ship. Our first view of Charlie is his backside as he hangs over the edge of the deck, seeming to relieve himself of nausea, only to turn around all smiles, showing off his prized catch of a fresh fish. Now contrast that with Chaplin's later, far less imaginative short A Day's Pleasure, where he really does try to milk seasickness for every diminishing comedy. Eventually, Charlie meets up with a female immigrant, played of course by Edna Proviance, and her widowed mother. He befriends them and eventually gives them some money he won from gambling on the ship. Then comes the movie's most famous shot. A title tells us that the ship has reached the land of liberty, followed by a long shot of the Statue of Liberty, followed by Charlie and his shipmates being roped off by cattle before they can be let off the ship. At least Charlie gets off a good kick to the guy doing the the roping. The second half of the movie shows Charlie finding a coin on the street and using it to dine at a cheap restaurant. There he reunites with Edna. In a perfect economy of action, Charlie and we see Edna alone and in black and immediately deduce that her sickly mother has passed on. Charlie expresses his sorrow and then tries to make the best of things, offering to buy dinner for Edna. Then Charlie and Edna see a customer getting batted about by the restaurant's burly waiter, 
played by Eric Campbell, of course, because the customer lacked a dime on his dinner bill. We've already seen the way to get assertive with Charlie because he couldn't take a hint to remove a hat, his hat in the restaurant. By the way, Eric and Charlie's hat routine will strike a chord with any Laurel and Hardy fan. In fact, much of the second half's premise seems to have been bodily lifted by Laurel and Hardy later for their 1930 short subject, Below Zero. Now, trying to assure himself, Charlie reaches into his pocket and reaches and reaches and realizes the coin has fallen out. Chaplin manages to milk a good deal of business out of Charlie, trying to avoid the waiter's suspicious glare and to figure out how he will pay the bill. As luck would have it, a nearby customer, played by Chaplin veteran Henry Bergman, is an artist who finds Edna and Charlie worthy subjects for his next painting. He confirms a deal with them and then gives Charlie a couple of dollars in advance. In one is easily one of Chaplin's most satisfying endings, both emotionally and story-wise, Charlie drags Coy Edna into the office of a local justice of the peace to use the money to buy a marriage license for them. To me, The Immigrant is even more astonishing once you view the first segment of the astounding documentary Unknown Chaplin, which I will cover in Episode 3. Uh, it's documentary, as you probably know, details the origins of many Chaplin's mutual comedies. The Immigrant began as Chaplin's vague idea of a comedy of manners, but it wandered aimlessly until Chaplin connected the dots and included the immigration concept. I wonder if Titanic began that modestly. Now, for my favorite feature-length film of Chaplin's, let's go to 1936 and Modern Times. Modern Times has a special place in my heart because it was the first Charlie Chaplin movie I saw in an actual theater when it was released in 1972 and I was 11 years old. On top of that, despite its overall theme, the effects of the Great Depression, I find it a very bright and cheery movie. It's as though even the bleak themes of the story, such as the tramp's nervous breakdown, the gammons losing her sisters to the state, etc., aren't enough to tamp down the happiness of which the tramp convinces him convinces himself at movie's end. In his review of Modern Times, 1930s movie critic Otis Ferguson cynically stated that the movie was such a series of set pieces that it could easily have been chopped into a series of two-reelers titled The Waiter, The Prisoner, and so forth. One could make a case for that, but even so, what delightful set pieces. In just his first few minutes on screen, Chaplin, as a put-upon factory worker, bursts forth with more manic energy as an actor and vivid imagination as a writer-director than ought to be expected of him by this time in his career. He was 46 when the movie was released. The bit with the nut tightening, everything that looks like two bolts eventually gets his attention, which causes trouble for a couple of buxom women. The scene with the automatic food feeder, the champ, tramp getting caught in the factory's cog workings, any of these scenes alone would be regarded as a classic in any other comic's movie career. It's also interesting to see the compromise that Chaplin made at, the, at this point between silent and sound movies. The movie does use talking figures, but only as necessary. A voice on the radio, the factory boss on a big brother-like TV screen, and how prescient was that in 1936, and a delightful bit involving nothing but the Chaplin and a prim minister's wife sipping tea on empty stomachs. 
Long after Buster Keaton had been used up and spat out by the big studio system, he spoke of making movies where his comic lead character, or others on screen, wouldn't speak any more than necessary. Here, Chaplin showed how seamlessly this could have been done if silent movies had continued. One of the biggest treats for Chaplin fans, of course, was to hear his voice on screen for the first time, when the tramp does a nonsense number as a singing waiter. There would be many critics who would wish that that had been the last time Chaplin had spoken in a movie. <clears throat> With its themes of unemployment and strikes, it's also obvious that Cha Chaplin had something to say here, which has been another sore point among his critics who think he should only be funny. But I'd say that Chaplin's points are subtle and worth making. The lovely opening shot, where a flock of sheep metamorphosed into a crowd of factory workers heading for work, the bit where a red flag falls off a construction truck, truck and the tramp, trying to get the truck driver's attention with it, inadvertently leads a crowd of hostile strikers. And you can't help but identify with the tramp's look of puzzlement when he's told he'll be going on strike after only a single day back at work. The other major actor in the movie is Paulette Goddard, soon to become Mrs. Charles Chaplin, as the streetwise gammon who eventually partners with the tramp. Visually, the camera loves her, but she tends to overdo her part just a little. Luckily, the storyline gives her to us in very small doses until she meets the tramp, so she's not hard to take. It gets a little worse in The Great Dictator, especially with sound. Perhaps never before or since has such a bitter social statement gone down so smoothly in a movie. Modern Times is a truly worthy farewell to Chaplin's silent career. And those are my two all-time favorite Chaplin movies. I uh, hope you get a chance to view them sometime, and you might want to look online because I can't say it categorically, but if you do look on the internet, you might be able to see a couple of them for free. So, let me uh, part by saying that episode three will consist of my review of Unknown Chaplin, the wonderful 1983 documentary done by Kevin Brownlow. And uh, till then, I hope you will uh, hit the subscribe button. And I will keep you informed. I'm getting more venues little by little where you can listen to this other than just Anchor. Although I do like Anchor and I prefer to plug them because they are the parent website of this podcast. So uh, you probably know that already if you are listening to it at the moment. Nevertheless, if you're interested in a podcast, go to anchor.fm. They make it as, as easy for you as possible to do it. Uh, the only other couple of things I would like to plug are I don't have a Facebook page specifically for this podcast, but I do have a Facebook page that I've been doing for several years devoted to Chaplin. So if you would like to look me up on Facebook, look for the title, Another Charlie Chaplin Facebook Page, and you can find me there and join the page if you'd like. Lastly, I welcome all commentary and criticism, be it positive, negative, or neutral. So if you have anything to say about this podcast, please feel free to email me at, um, sorry, I'm blanking out. Uh, email me at laughinggaspodcast at outlook.com. I thank you very much for listening. I hope you will continue to do so. And I hope that my enthusiasm for Charlie Chaplin uh, gets forth particularly well on this podcast. Until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye.